everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. You are listening to the Financials Edition taped today on Monday, November 28, 2016. My name is Gabby LaPera, and joining me over Skype is Dan Kaplinger, a Motley Fool personal finance guru. Hey, Dan, it's nice to have you. How was your Thanksgiving? Hey, I had a pretty good time, Gabby. How about yourself? It was great. We had stuffing. And my mom's mashed potatoes, which are the best mashed potatoes, because she looks at the recipe and she goes, ha ha, I'm not going to put a quarter cup of milk. I'm going to put a whole cup of heavy whipping cream in it. And it's delicious. There you go. We had good luck with the potatoes this year, too. A bunch of pretty much every kind of cheese that you can imagine in there worked like a charm. Sounds so good. Um, Listeners, if you don't know this about me, I absolutely love food. So if you have any recipes you'd like me to make and eat myself, because I'm not going to send it to you. Let's be real. That would be unsanitary and disgusting. Um, I would love to have them. You can contact us at industryfocus at fool.com. So, um, now that Thanksgiving is done, we are heading into December. It's almost the end of the year, which I can't believe. Um, And we thought it would be really good to talk about some year-end housekeeping things you should think about doing for your taxes, specifically for legally saving money on your taxes. And who doesn't like saving money? Um, Dan, I figured we should start with tax loss harvesting. You bet. No, that's that's the obvious place to start. And it's something that, you know, it hasn't actually been like a huge problem for a lot of investors over the past several years because we haven't had that many losses. You know, stock market's been shooting pretty much straight up. But most people will find that even if you have a successful investment portfolio, you can't escape having at least some stocks lose ground. And that's where tax loss harvesting can really help by selling off those stocks, taking those losses, you're able to use them to offset either capital gains or in some cases, other types of income to reduce your eventual tax bill. Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, A lot of people don't realize that you have to pay taxes on capital gains. They think it's just free money, but it's income. So you have to pay, you have to pay taxes on that. Um, And tax loss harvesting is just like Dan said, a great way to offset that. Another thing to keep in mind is um, I hadn't thought about it until today, but if you own index funds, a lot of them pay out dividends. um, And that also counts towards uh, uh, something that you need to pay taxes for. So keep that in mind. Um, I just want to say that right now because I totally almost forgot about that when I was thinking about do which which TurboTax program to buy. And Gabby, just to jump in there, a lot of mutual fund investors, especially this year, it's now that the stock market has been going up for so long, sometimes they're going to get distributions towards the end of the year that are really big. And they're going to wonder, well, what the heck is going on here? Well, the fact is that most mutual funds, they pay out a distribution. And some of it is just the dividend income that they accumulate over the course of the year. That's usually pretty modest. But if a fund has been successful, then sometimes they'll make a really big distribution. And that's all the capital gains that all of their successful investments that they've decided to sell off during the year, that's those gains getting passed out to their fund holders. And so that's one reason why tax loss harvesting can be smart because you can use the losses that you harvest in order to offset those capital gains distributions that those mutual funds pay out to you. Yeah, absolutely. And just a reminder to our listeners, there is a difference between short-term and long-term capital gains or 
capital gains tax. Um, uh, short-term capital gains tax is um, depends on your income, but I believe, do you have that number off the top of your head, Dan? Well, it's a year or less. If you own the if you own something for one year or a shorter period of time, then you have to pay taxes on whatever your ordinary tax bracket is. So that goes as high as 39.6%, depending on what your income is. Long-term capital gains, on the other hand, that's for stocks or other investments that you hold for longer than a year. So a year plus a day or longer, those get a preferential tax rate, and that depends on your tax bracket. For those who are in the lowest two tax brackets, those long-term capital gains actually are tax-free at 0%. For everybody else, it's 15% unless you're in the highest possible tax bracket, then it goes up to 20%. But that's still just barely half of what the ordinary income tax rate is at that point. And so it's a big tax savings, gives you an incentive to hold on to those stocks longer than a year if you have gains on them. Absolutely. So definitely keep that in mind. Um, and that's one of the other benefits of following the Motley Fool's uh, philosophy of being a long-term investor. Um, not to get too too much like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I totally am. Um, so the next thing I figured we would talk about would be charitable donations. Uh, when giving back, gives back to you. <laughs> okay, I'm not as funny as I thought I was, but that's fine. <laughs> Um, so you can give gifts of appreciated stock. Yeah, just about you know, to, just to give the the general gist of this, basically anything that you give to charity is tax deductible if you itemize your deductions, and if it's given without you getting something back in return. So you know, a lot of people ask questions about you know, well, if I participate in some sort of charitable auction or something and I make a $100 gift, and in exchange, I get a $100 gift certificate to my favorite restaurant, you're not going to be able to deduct that because that gift certificate is worth exactly what you essentially paid for. It's not really a charitable deduction, even if you bought it at like a charity silent auction or something like that. But if you make gifts at year-end, and a lot of people do their charitable giving towards the end of the year, gifts of cash, you write a check, if you make a gift by credit card, all of that, you will generally be able to deduct as long as you're itemizing your deductions. Now, what Gabby was saying before about appreciated stock is actually a really great way to give to charity because it not only gets you potentially that tax deduction for the charitable gift, it also helps you avoid what would ordinarily be a big tax bill for you. For instance, say you own a stock that's gone up in value from $1,000 up to $2,000. If you sold that stock, you'd have a capital gain. You'd have to pay tax on that capital gain. But if you give that stock directly to a charity, you get a full deduction for the current $2,000 value, and you don't have to pay the capital gains. The charity will be the one to sell it. They're a tax-exempt organization, so they don't have to pay tax on it everybody ends up a winner. And so that's one reason why looking at making gifts of stocks that have gone up in value a lot in your portfolio can be a really big tax saver for you. Absolutely. And just to throw in a word about charitable giving, um, always make sure that you check out the charity before you give them anything. Uh, you can check charities at uh, Charity Navigator 
or um, Charity Watch. Both of those websites give insight into how charities actually spend your money so you can make sure that it's going to a worthwhile cause or your gifts of appreciated stock. <laughs> the other thing to keep in mind, if you are going to go the stock route, you don't want to wait until like the last day of the year to get moving on that because, you know, with a check, you just write a check and it's done. But with stock, you really have to work with your broker in order to get the shares that you own in your brokerage account over to your charity. And that can take days or even like a couple of weeks. And so I know that a lot of brokers, they'll tell you, hey, if you're going to do this, you know, let me know sort of early in December so that we can get everything moving in the right direction. And there's no question later on that you got it done before year end because if the, if the important activity involved in getting those shares moved out of your account, that doesn't happen until 2017, the IRS can come back and tell you, no, no, no you don't get to claim that on your 2016 tax return. You're going to have to wait until 2017 to get it, which is not what you want. You want to get it done now so you can get that deduction now. Absolutely. So now people think about it right now. <laughs> um, Moving on to our next topic, uh, there are all sorts of other itemized deductions um, that you can double up on. So you can pay two years worth of the expenses at year end to max out the deduction for this year. Do you have um, any comments on like what kind of deductions those would be? Yeah, I mean, you know, one one thing that you can do is to double up on your charitable deductions. Since we were just talking about charitable deductions, and so if you have the cash to do it. And if you're in the habit of making a particular size gift every year, you can, instead of making one gift now and waiting until January or even worse, you know, this time next year to do it, <laughs> if, you, if you go ahead and give your two years worth of gifts now, then you can basically double up the deduction. Now, it's true that next year you won't get a deduction for that because you doubled it up. But here's the thing. For a lot of people... A lot of people are really close to that line between whether they should itemize their deductions or whether they should just go ahead and take the standard deduction. And a lot of the time, doubling up can really make the difference between it making between it's being smart to do the itemized deductions or to take the standard deduction. And so over the course of time, some people find, check the math to see if it's right for your situation, but a lot of people find that if you double up on that on those deductions, it lets you get more in total deductions over the long run than you'd get if you just kind of said, well, you know, I've got one year's worth of deductions. We'll just claim them year in and year out one by one. So I have a question. If you double up on, um, say, your charitable donations for 2016, does that mean you can't take the same deduction in 2017? Or does it just mean that you would have less potentially, like you'd be potentially just giving less in 2017? Well, you can always, I mean, you know, it, it, it has to do with what you do with the money. So, you know, again, if your intent, you know, just to throw out an example out there, say you give some organization $100 every year, you can keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And then you'll be able to deduct $100 every year. If you double up and say, okay, I'm going to give my 100 for 2016 and my 100 for 2017, I'm just going to go ahead and get that out of the way now. I'm going to write a check for $200. You get to deduct the 200 this year. You don't get to deduct anything for next year because you already you didn't pay it next year. You paid it this year. If you go ahead and make another, you know, if you decide to be incredibly generous and say, "Hey, 
Yeah, I know I said I already made my gift, but I'm just going to go ahead and give it another gift later in 2017. Then that's fine. You've actually given more money, and so you can take that deduction again. But there are a lot of situations where basically, you know, you can you can think about it in terms of prepaying what you wouldn't necessarily have to pay until later. Uh, another example that comes in with a lot of people is property taxes. A lot of places they'll charge you one half of your annual property tax every six months. And so you always have the option of paying it all up front in the earlier year. If you do that, you get to deduct it all up in the earlier year. If you don't, then you just claim half this year and half next year. And again, depending on your the situation that you have with your standard deduction, with other types of itemized deductions, Sometimes it makes more sense to do it one way. Sometimes it makes more sense to do it the other way. And sometimes it doesn't really make any difference. But it's something to think about, especially this year, because a lot of people are thinking in terms of, I want to maximize deductions for 2016 in the hopes that a new administration might be bringing us lower tax rates next year. And so those tax deductions might be worth more in 2016 than they will be in 2017 and in the future. Yep, we'll see what happens with that. Um, so the final thing that we wanted to talk about is not a hundred percent really tax related. It's kind of tax related, which is the um, flex spending account. Your FSA uh, is for um, healthcare. A lot of employers have this. Um, one of the things that you're going to want to do is check to see if your employer has a grace period or a rollover. Um, by law, I believe you are allowed to roll over $500 from year to year. Um, that's that's true, but only if your employer activates that option. So you have to be, it's really important to go to your employer and to find out what your choices are because each employer can differ. There's a couple basic ways that this works. A lot of employers will pick either one or the other of these two things. The first is a lot of employers will give you a grace period. And so what you can do then is incur health-related expenses through March 15th of the following year and still count them against the money that you put into your Flex account for the previous year. So say right now you've got $500 left in your Flex account. You don't foresee needing any medical expenses between now and the end of the year. Ordinarily, that money would be gone. You'd forfeit it because, again, the way these flexible spending accounts work is you pick a number up front that you're going to take out of your paycheck and put into these accounts. But if you don't use it, you lose it. But the IRS figured out this wasn't entirely fair. And so if your employer offers that two and a half month grace period, then you'll still have January, February and the first half of March to incur medical expenses and use and in order to use up that remaining amount. Now, the second option that employers have is exactly what you just said. They can let you take up to $500 from your previous year and carry it forward into the next year. And if your employer picks that, then under the example I just gave, you wouldn't have to do anything. You just carry forward your 500 and then whenever you spend it next year, you can go ahead and do that. But the key to remember is your employer would have to pick one or the other. The IRS doesn't let employers offer both the grace period and the carry forward. In addition, 
the IRS doesn't require employers to offer either one of those. And so if you don't have either one of those working for you, you have to make sure that you get that money spent down by December 31st or you'll lose it. But it's worth giving a call or taking a visit to whoever handles payroll and, and HR stuff at your company to find out exactly how your flex account works and to make sure that you don't lose any money in the process. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is you want to be careful that you make sure that you're using your flex spending account correctly. Um, so, for example, um, this happened to me earlier today. I almost illegally used my FSA. <laughs> um, I got a dental bill. I went to a dentist out of network, so my dental insurance covered half of the payment. Um, and then they, by sending a check to me, and then I needed to pay the dentist in full, and I almost accidentally paid the dentist in full off of my FSA, which is illegal because you can't use your FSA to pay for something that you've already been reimbursed for. You can only pay for the stuff that hasn't been reimbursed. Um, right. So just the half, the half that they didn't pay, you would have been okay with, but the half that the insurance had reimbursed, yeah, you're right. That, that would have been a no-go. Yeah. So make sure that you check the rules online. Um, the IRS and there's other there's a few other organizations that have pretty um, clear rules that you can read. Uh, other things that you can use use it for are any qualified medical expense. So, something that requires a prescription um, is is pretty much going to definitely be covered. So that includes stuff like um, like medicine and I think eyeglasses. Correct? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Right. So those are, I mean, easy ways to spend it. Um, I don't really know. I don't know what else you might you might want to spend it on. Some some employers have like an online store that you can like peruse and use your FSA in. It all has like FSA approved items in it. I've never done it, but I've also never had any extra because I don't put a lot into it. I only put enough in to pay for my dentist. Um, but yeah, just just things to think about so that you can get the most out of your money. And also during open enrollment, you can always change the amount that you put into your FSA. So consider what your medical expenses were this year and what you imagine they might be next year, and adjust accordingly. That's right. If you've got if you have a big balance at the end of this year, then you know think about ramping it down for next year so you don't have the same challenge. But you're absolutely right. I see any number of ads from these, you know, outfits that sell eyeglasses and contact lenses and that kind of thing. I think that end of year is like their biggest, uh, is their best season precisely because of this. People have money they need to use up. Yeah. And of course, you can also spend your FSA um, on spouses and dependents, but there's rules surrounding that as well. So make sure you read them before you spend. Um, I think that's it, unless you have anything else to say to our listeners. Just don't wait too long, guys. I know that, you know, it says you've got until December 31st to get all these things done. But believe you me, there's a lot more interesting things that you want to be doing on December 29th, December 30th, December 31st than worrying about these last minute tax moves. Take the next few weeks, learn what you need to learn, start getting the ball moving. And then that way you can enjoy New Year's Eve without having to have the tax burden on your shoulders. Very wise words. Um, also, you know, happy holidays, everyone. I can't believe it's <laughs> almost December. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Dan. It's always a pleasure to have you. 
Um, as usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about or don't talk about in this case, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Additionally, please make sure you consult a tax professional before taking tax advice from a disembodied voice on the internet. This is just a starting point, people. Contact us at industryfocus at fool.com or by tweeting us at mfindustryfocus. Thank you to Anne Henry, today's producer. I have no idea where Austin went, but I'm sure he's having fun wherever he is. (laughs) And thank you to y'all for joining us. Everyone have a great week.